would please stand. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. The Bible says, Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin, in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have, you, have ye made us to come up out of Egypt, to bring us in unto this evil place? It is no place of seed, or of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their face, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation to the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to be here. I pray that you speak to us. Uh, help me to present the, the message that you have uh, for your people tonight. In your name, amen. Right. In the 70s, there was a, a tightrope walker uh, whose name was Philip Pettit. And, and Phil, I'm sorry, Philippe Pettit. Uh, I'm probably butchering his last name, but uh, Philippe a uh, tightrope walked between the World Trade Centers in 1974. So this, this picture is of him tightrope walking between. Now, now he's, when you say between the World Trade Centers, there's a lot of floors that you could have chosen. And he chose the top ones, as you can see in this picture. Uh, uh, so he, he tightrope walked between these two buildings. It was one of, one of the you know, really incredible things to, to ever happen. Uh, but when interviewed, he was given an explanation. And he was, he was talking about when he first started learning how to tightrope walk. Uh, and as, as he first started, he was, he was getting confidence. Uh, he was getting to the point where he felt he didn't have to have the safety net. And, and one day as he's training, he's walking across, and he said, get within the last three steps of the, the platform. And he says, as I get there, he says, I start to hesitate, but then I try to take steps with confidence. And he says, what happened is, is he, he lost his balance and he fell. And so here, Philippe, what happened is he was able to catch himself on the, the tightrope wire and pull himself back up onto the rope and then get onto the platform. And when he got down onto the, the, the ground, ground floor, the main floor, whatever you call it, uh, the, the, his mentor stopped him. He said, said, most wire walkers, they fall when they arrive. They think they have arrived, but they're still on the wire. If you have three steps to do and you take those steps arrogantly, if you think you are invincible, you are going to die. Makes sense, right? Now, personally, you will never catch me on a tightrope. I mean, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, but I'm not the guy who's going to be trying to walk the tightrope. But what's being said here makes perfect sense. When you're on the tightrope, 
you're on the tightrope. You, you should never act as if it's okay or you can be flipping about it. And if you ever have an opportunity to look up uh, uh, Philippe on YouTube, he's, he's actually a pretty incredible. He's like jumping and stuff and laying down on the tightrope. Listen, again, I wouldn't lay over the edge of the Empire State Building, let alone on a tightrope over span between the two. But here's this guy in his, his confidence. He, he, he did a really good job at it. But what we see in Moses' life is Moses is entering the final days. In fact, they are in the last year of their wandering. They're in the first month of their last year of their wandering. And Moses gets to this point, and he manages to fumble the ball at the last minute. And as a result, God says, you are not allowed to go into the promised land. This is heartbreaking. Moses is not a man who's unfamiliar with the, the, the complaining of the people of Israel. I mean, you've, you've read it. If you've read the book of Exodus, you understand it. that's all they did. In fact, just a couple chapters before, in chapter 12, you have a man in Korah who comes to Moses and he says, You take too much upon you. You, you are taking too much authority on yourself. And, and I think I deserve some of it. And Moses, in, in, in his... In, Meekness. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 12, he's the meekest man to walk the earth. In his meekness, he says, listen, God will, God will speak for me. If you think that you should be doing this job, let's come back tomorrow and God will speak for me. And if you're familiar with the story, what happens? The ground opens up, it swallows Korah and his, his two friends and their entire families. 250 false priests die. And then uh, after that, about 14,000 people die. So almost a total of 15,000 people die because of the rebellion of this man. Moses is no stranger to the rebellion or the complaining of the people. So what happened here? Well, where did he go wrong? This guy's been dealing with this stuff for 40 years. You would think he'd be an old hat at it by now. But Moses, in his last moments, failed to focus on God. And as a result, he failed to complete what God had called him to do. So as we look at this tonight, this is going to scare you. I've got five points. Now, I promise, I know, you're somebody like, I'm out of here. Pastor Jones isn't preaching, and you got five points? I'm leaving. I promise you, they're not long points. They don't even have sub points. So there's just five main points, okay? So, so here we go. All right. Uh, first one, we need to go to God with a criticism of others. The, I, I love this. Moses starts off well. The, the people come to him, and listen, if, you, if you're paying attention, what they say to him, they say, you've brought us out here to die. We don't have water for our animals. We don't have water for ourselves. We, you should have just killed us with our brethren. Could you, could you imagine how much, like, ugh, just, ugh, you'd have to choke down if somebody came and stood in your face and said that? Listen, Moses is here looking at these people. He says, and I can't believe he doesn't just smack them upside the head. Say 15,000 people died and you wish you died with them because you don't have water for a couple days. Grow up. But Moses, again, in his meekness, in his humility, what's he do? Doesn't answer. In fact, he immediately goes to the tabernacle and he falls on his face before God. And he, he waits for God to come to him. And God tells him what he's going to do. Moses handles his criticism surprisingly well. But I, I, as we see, obviously Moses is getting a little frustrated. And it's so easy to do when somebody comes to us with criticism, right? 
Moses, again, I reference back to Korah because that was the last thing that happened, the last account that happened. Moses, with his account with Korah, he didn't respond in anger, and he would have been justified to do so. He didn't look at Korah and say, God put me in this position, and you need, to, you need to sit down and be quiet. No, no, what's he say? God will speak for me. I'll let God do the talking. That's, that's humility. That's meekness. And here, where this is a legitimate criticism, listen, I, I, I want us all to understand something. If we were, uh, we, we, I, I tend to do this a lot. I look at the, Isra- the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and, and I say, man, these people are such whiny babies. All they did is ever whine. But we have to understand, they, they are legitimately concerned. They, they have gone several days without water. They have depleted their, their stores. Their, their animals have gone without water for, for maybe a couple days. The, their, their, their children are thirsty. This frustration isn't born out of, out of a completely immature response. They, they have a right to be worried. But instead of going to him and saying, hey, Moses, we need water. Can you go to God and ask for water? What do they do? They go to him and say, you are going to kill us. Their, 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 their concern was valid, but their approach was not. And, and as we deal with criticism in our life, we need to evaluate it by two things. First off, is it true? A lot of times somebody comes to us in a wrong way, and, and we get very defensive about it, but their point is valid. Their, their concern is valid. I mean, how many of us with our spouse have ever been there before? They say something, we're like, you're being ridiculous. And later we're like, yeah, I'm a big jerk. Okay, I need to do a better. That's just me. Nobody else in here? You're like, oh, wow. Corey's confused. No, no, we, we've all been there before. Where we've, we've, we've been frustrated by the criticism that's happened. But, but we have to learn to understand. If it's true, then it needs to bring about a change in our life. You know, I, I, am, I am probably the front runner of the I'm always right Olympics. Well, probably right behind Preacher. But, but he and I are right there together. <laughs> Can we cut that out of that video? <laughs> but I, I don't like being told I'm wrong. I don't like it. And God really worked on me and humbled me a lot. When, when I got hired at that church uh, that I worked at before, uh, there was this, every time I preached, there was this little old well-intentioned lady who would come up to me after every service and give me a couple of critiques. And, and at first, I really, I, I, I got mad when I saw her walking up. Here comes Miss Pat. She's going to tell me what a terrible job I I preached my heart out out there. Did she not catch any of that? But, 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 you know, God taught me a lot through her because, listen, she was right in what she was saying. She, she was telling me things as simple as slow down when you preach. And some of you are like, you still need to do that. <laughs> I, I am working on it, okay? She, she would tell me things like, you need to be more clear in this way or that way. Or, or spend more time on your illustration. And, and she, again, well-intentioned. She, she, she helped me a lot, but, but you know what, if I, and I'm not saying like, look at how mature I am, but if I am not mature enough to handle criticism, then I am not mature enough to grow. And as we look at Moses' life, we see a man who endures an unfair share of criticism. Every time he turned around, he had people unfairly going to him and saying, you are messing up. At times, it was his brother and sister, the people he trusted and loved the most. They're the ones who stabbed him in the back. But Moses practiced humility, and when it came to criticism, he sought to learn from it and strove to do better. Number two, I told you they're short. Number two, 
We cannot allow circumstances to dictate our emotions. We cannot allow circumstances to dictate our emotions. It's very likely that, you see in verse 1, Miriam has just died. It's very likely that Moses was still dealing with the grief of losing his sister. Again, this is is somebody that's been with him. has been at his right hand or or left hand uh, through this entire ordeal. And she's just passed away. But Chuck Swindoll in his book uh, on, on Moses makes the point that uh, uh, Moses probably had an anger problem. And I think if we're being honest, we look at Moses' life, we can see some evidences of that. Moses, when he was a, a young man, killed an Egyptian taskmaster because he was abusing a Hebrew servant. That's a fit of rage. Moses, can, again, not, we, would, we would say justified or vindicated. Moses coming down off the mountain throws the tablets that God himself had wrote at the feet of the the golden calf in a fit of rage. Moses shows some of the benchmarks of somebody who struggled with an anger problem. But also, Moses showed the benchmarks of somebody who is filled with God and controlled that anger problem. Again, I, I mean, we can go through all these accounts of people who've done him wrong. He never lashes out to them personally. He never tries to, to get even with them. He allows God to handle it. Moses, whether he was he's struggling with an anger problem or not, he was a man who was filled with grace. But in this moment, in this moment, he allowed the circumstances of life to, to drag him down, to cause him to make a decision that he was going to regret. So often in our lives, we like to do the same thing. We like to excuse our behavior. We like to say, you don't know, I've had a tough week. You don't know what I'm going through. And listen, you you see here, God doesn't pat Moses on the back and say, hey, bud, I know you're going through a hard time right now. It's all right. I'll give you a pass this time. God does not make allowance for the inappropriate behavior in spite of Moses' circumstances. God demands that Moses respect him at all times, regardless of how he's feeling. And I think when it comes to our lives, so often we, we like to, to justify ourselves. We, we, we have, I've heard it so many times. If you, if you knew what I went through growing up, you, you would be the same way. Or if you, if you had the day I had, you would have responded just like me. And we like to vindicate or justify our behaviors, and no matter how inappropriate they are, because we, were, we had a tough time. You don't know what it's like. But at no point do we get to inappropriately respond because our life is difficult, and God say, you know what, bud? That's fine. That anger problem, that, 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 that burst of rage that you had because things didn't go your way, I get it. You got cut off in traffic. I get, I know how that is. God doesn't do that. And listen, Moses in this moment, in this moment does not understand what it's going to cost him to lose his temper. I, I promise you, if, if, if Moses could have, could have looked into the future and saw what was going to happen, he wouldn't have done it. But how often, listen, we don't know the cost of our anger in the moment. How many, how many families are ruined by an angry father? How, 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 many, how, many, how many homes are ruined because of a parent that has, or a spouse that has an anger problem? Well, this is how I grew up. Listen, there is no justification or excuse for your behavior. 
As we stand before God, we aren't going to get to blame anybody else. It is entirely up to us. How, how, many, how many co-workers have, have been turned away from the gospel because we have represented a poor testimony in our workplace? There is no justification for poor behavior. And we have to be sure that in our lives that we aren't excusing our responses on, on, based on circumstances, but that we are instead allowing God, allowing the Holy Spirit to control us and fill us And so when it comes to those moments where we feel that anger, that rage welling within us, we instead turn to God and say, God, you are in control. And it's so much easier to say. I know know that. I'm standing up here. It's it's super easy to say. It's an entirely different thing to live out, isn't it? It's an entirely different thing. When you feel that, that things are going wrong and that frustration is welling up within you, to turn it over to God is a monumental task. But it is a task worth doing. Because we will never understand the cost of it until it is too late. Thirdly, we need to obey even in the little things. The minor detail of speaking to the rock instead of hitting it shows that Moses' anger trumped what God had told him to do. I I don't believe uh, that, that Moses forgot what God told him. It's possible, sure. But I don't believe that Moses forgot what God told him to do. I believe it's kind of like slamming the phone down after a conversation. I am old enough to remember that. I know some of you are like, you're not. I am. I, my, we had a landline in our house with a real long cord. Uh, and, and there's always just something satisfying about slamming the phone down. after. And I, I didn't have many of those conversations. I was like 13. But, but there's always something satisfying about slamming the phone down after that conversation. It's, it's not the same anymore, is it? It's that, that end call button. Like, it's just, it doesn't convey the same frustration. And so here's Moses, and he's doing the same thing. He's standing up here, and he, he, he gets up in front of these people, and he says, you rebels, do we have to fetch you water? And it would have been very anticlimactic to turn to that rock and say, okay, water, come out. So what's he do? He turns with his rod, and he hits it, and he hits it twice out of his anger and his frustration. And in this moment, we see that Moses ignored the details of what God told him to do in his anger. God has put expectations in front of us for a reason. Every aspect of the word of God is important. It's not for us to pick and choose what we listen to. Now, I know this is an obvious statement. I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd in a conservative church. None of you in here are going to say, Parts of the Bible are unimportant. At least I hope not. We, we understand the importance of the Bible. That's why we have three services a week. That's why we, we preach in expository fashion. That's why we go through the Bible. Because the entire word of God is valid and important. I, if, I bet if I took a poll, we'd have almost 100% agreement in here. And it's, it's, it's one thing for us to understand that. It's a different thing for us to believe that. I can understand a stove is hot, but I'm not going to believe you until I touch it. And many times we as believers, we like to sit here and we like to say that we understand the importance of the Bible. Uh, we understand the whole thing is important, but our lifestyle tells a much different story. I know God has called us to holiness, but that doesn't apply to my entertainment, does it? That TV show? It's okay. I know God has called me to be a separate and sanctified people for his namesake, but, but that 
that doesn't mean that I have to be super faithful to church, right? That doesn't mean I have to spend time reading my Bible, does it? Listen, we understand the whole Bible's important, but, but we'll allow ourselves to become hurt and frustrated when, when we come to church and somebody's not serving us when we're supposed to be the servants. We know what the Bible says, but we don't always live like we know what the Bible says. Every point of the Bible is important. Every point of the Bible is something that we need to define and abide by in our lives. And it's, again, it's something we are very comfortable saying, but it is something that we are not so comfortable living out. If we are to be the ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ, then we should be the ones who are living out the entirety of the scripture without compromise. How are we doing in that? How, how, how are we living out the full counsel of the Bible? I, I know that I should be sharing the gospel, but I've done it before. I tried that one time. I go twice a year to outreach. Listen, I'm not saying that outreach is the only way for us to share the gospel. I'm sorry. Organized outreach here at the church is the only way for us to share the gospel. But I am saying, listen, we should, every believer in this church should be making an effort at some point throughout their week. We can live like we understand the Bible or we can live like we believe the Bible. And they're very different things. Number four, we must always give glory to God. Moses says, must we fetch you water out of this rock? I don't think that Moses really thought he had the power to make water come from the rock, but he allowed his emotion to rob God of the glory. Alexander McLaren said, he who claims power to himself denies it to God. Interestingly enough, God allowed water to flow in spite of Moses' disobedience. And, and, and I'm sure for the moment that Moses felt as if everything was okay. He allows this, this moment of passion, this moment of anger. He, he yells at the people. He turns and he hits the rock. And, and, and there's a moment of hesitation as the water starts to bubble out. And I'm sure Moses thought, I shouldn't have done that. And as the water starts to flow and the people start gathering themselves and their animals to it, I'm sure Moses felt a, a wave of relief. But then God comes to him and Aaron. And God says to him and Aaron, you're not going into the promised land because you've robbed me of the glory of this moment. Just because we see the water flowing in our life doesn't necessarily mean that we have God's blessing. I want to say that again because I want us to understand something. Just because we see the water flowing in our life doesn't mean that we have God's blessing. We are so prone to tying our success to God's blessing. But sometimes God's working in spite of us, not through us. And in this moment, God is working in spite of Moses. He had every right to hold the water back. You've messed up. You were wrong. Everybody's getting punished. But God allowed it to flow. If we are not careful, when we tie our success to God's blessing, it can allow us to become distracted and turn our focus from God to finding that success. Uh, Paul David Schreib wrote in his book, oh, I'm going to read it, make sure I, I do it justice. Uh, he wrote 
in his book, Awe, on having an awe of God, he says, our success should not instill an awe of God within us, but rather it should be a result of our awe of God. I won't read it again. I want us to really understand what he's saying because it is, it is a, a seriously life-changing thought. Our success should not instill an awe of God within us, but rather it should be a result of our awe of God. So many times when I've found success in my life, I've turned to God and said, man, God, you're awesome. Thank you so much for this blessing. When instead I should have been praising God the whole time and the success that I saw was just a byproduct of my worship of God. Moses here in this moment, he allows his frustration, he allows his anger to overwhelm him. And in so doing, he steals the glory from God. And when he sees the results, I'm sure he pats himself on the back and thinks that everything's okay. But in the end, he loses what he's been fighting for for the last 40, really the last 139 years. Moses loses the opportunity to walk into the promised land because he allowed his focus to turn from God to his frustration. Which leads us to number five. We need to focus on God. Moses allowed his focus to be on the people, and that led to his ultimate failure. Moses' life was defined by his meekness. He was a man chosen by God because God knew that he was going to, to allow God to completely use him. But here we are in the home stretch, and Moses allows himself to misalign his focus. He even started right in the beginning. His right response was to go to God, but I know what happened to Moses because this is what, what would have happened to me. Moses is sitting here, and he's looking in the faces of these, these people who are, who are forgetting the wonder of God. Many of whom saw God bring water from the rock the last time. Many of whom, who were little children when they were crossing the Red Sea, and they heard their parents sing the praises of God, and then the very next day complained because there wasn't enough food. The children who grew up watching God lead them through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, they've seen God move in incredible ways. And here they are, just, just a couple weeks removed from, from 15,000 people dying, and they're coming to him, and they're angry. And I can imagine what happens here. Moses walks away and he's fuming. I can't believe they're acting like this. A bunch of entitled, selfish brats. God should leave the rest of them out here in the wilderness. And I'm sure as he and Aaron walk out from the tabernacle and they walk in front of the people, he, he looks across the crowd and he sees them whispering to each other. And he probably even hears the shouted complaints. And he, he allows his focus to turn to the complaints of the people instead of be on God. And in this moment, he loses everything. We are so guilty of doing the same thing. And I'm thankful that God... And, and, let me back up. I wonder how many of us are missing out on promised land moments because we have allowed our focus to be on people and circumstances instead of God. Moses is standing here realizing he messed up. Most of us don't realize how badly we've messed up until it's over. Until we're looking back over our life. We're not realizing I should have kept my focus on God. I shouldn't, have allowed, I shouldn't have allowed all these other things to pull my attention away. I've, I've failed. Moses 
misses out on God's best because he takes his focus off of him. How many things have we messed up in our life because we've been more focused on something other than God? Listen, I'm with you. I, I understand the stresses. I understand the difficulties of life. I understand there's days where you're just wore out, weeks, seasons of life where you're just going through it and you feel like you can't get your head above the water and life is falling apart around you. And it's so hard to focus on God in those moments. It's so hard. You feel deserted and alone. But those are the moments that we need to focus on God the most and maintain that focus in every aspect of our life. Because when we allow ourselves to become distracted, we allow ourselves to be robbed of God's greatest blessings. Moses is here and he's now barred from entering the promised land. And to Moses' credit, he continues to lead the people with character and, 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 and he, he challenges them to love God and he prepares Joshua to be the man to take over for him. But I can't imagine the heartbreak that Moses is feeling in this moment. So often we forget that these were real people. Moses is not some fictional storybook character. Moses was a man just as we are, who lived and breathed and felt the same way. And the thing that he's been, he's, God has been preparing him for his entire life, he now does not get to see the promised land. Moses never steps foot into the land of promise. And as we look at his life, we should learn the lesson on humility. Lesson on controlling our emotion, on obedience to God's instruction, and giving glory to the Almighty. As we study the life of Moses, we are reminded of the importance of seeking God in the face of challenges, evaluating criticism with humility, controlling our emotion, and adhering to God's instruction even in the minor details. Above all else, we need to maintain an unwavering focus on Him. In the highs and lows of our life, our focus must be on God. Because much like a tightrope walker, if we take our focus off at any point, we are prone to failure. We are destined for failure. Now I'm speaking of wide age range in here. There's all sorts of different applications as we walk away from this. But the one primary thing that none of us, no matter what stage of life you're in, can get away from is that we all need to do a better job focusing on God. All of us can have a better walk with God. We, we can, we can more, more ardently follow Him, more passionately serve Him, be more faithful in what He's called us to do. We all can do a better job. So as we leave here tonight, I, I want all of us to make a decision to choose to continue to grow our focus on God so that we can more effectively serve Him. Because that's the purpose of our life.